0: And welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. Tonight's scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh what therefore God has joined together let not man separate this is the word of the Lord that's good to Be back together with you guys after a week off last week for all of our Sanford folks. I hope that you guys had a great spring break for our UAB folks that are still here in town with us. We're excited that you are on break this week and for the rest of you, either at other schools or if you're in the working world right now and you don't, spring break is a thing of the past. Uh, We are just so excited that you guys are here with us tonight as we finish up our relationship series, Awkward, with a strike through it. And as we're going through and as we're looking at the awkwardness that can characterize a lot of the different stages of relationships. So we've looked at singleness, we've looked at dating. And tonight as we come together, we're looking at engagement and then at marriage. And there is a lot of awkwardness that can permeate each of the stages, but it doesn't have to be awkward. And So we're hoping to be able to give some common language, uh, some, common, some shared understanding for us as we seek to navigate wisely going through each of these seasons. And so like Kara prayed for us just a moment ago, our first week in this series, we talked about singleness is a gift. And singleness, like the culture tries to tell us that you know, singleness is either something to be idolized and something to be held onto as long as humanly possible, or that single is second rate. And that the church a lot of times doesn't really know what to do with you until you're married. But if you're single, you're not just a pre-married person, but that it is a gift that God has so given to you for a season, however long, of unhindered devotion to the king. But then as we looked to the next week, possibly my favorite night, is we were able to do dating, Becca and I. She also read scripture because you know marriage. And as we're coming up here, and as we're going through, we did the Q&A, the live Q&A. And y'all, I'm just gonna tell you, we got to about 15 of 90 questions. So we're gonna figure out how to best steward those questions and be able to maybe give some quick hits to some of the questions. Some of y'all cornered me afterwards because your question didn't get answered. And so it's okay. We, we were able to do a little one-on-one. It was wonderful. But really, as we're going through so much of the awkwardness of dating, and as we were just really coming through and saying, yes, we need to be able to give each other the gift of clarity, and we wanna be able to date with intentionality, And if we were to create a buzzword that you could associate with dating, it is evaluation. Evaluating, is this the person that I could be spending the rest of my life with in marriage? And so that brings us to tonight as we kind of land the plane on this series. And as we look at it, so really the two two halves of the sermon tonight are gonna be broken up. And so you each have a handout, okay? Just because it was gonna be way too many slides to put all the Bible up on the screen. And so for you, it'll be a great take home for you to be able to go and to consider a lot of these things later. If you don't have a handout, that I think we have some folks that'll be able to go around and pass one out. If you could just, this is informal up in here. You can just raise your hand, right? We got some over here that need, we got some right here that need a handout. Perfect, we'll, we'll get those coming to you guys right over here. But as we look at this tonight, As we break up these things into two halves, the first thing I'm hoping is deeply practical for all of us here is what a relationship needs to move towards marriage. So as you are dating, as you are getting more data in dating, as you are starting to be able to evaluate more and more this other person, there are some things that you need to be on the lookout for. There are some things that you need to be mindful of Some things that you need to have pinged on your radar for you to be able to move towards marriage. And so we're going to go through, we're just going to hit some quick, we're going to hit a quick list for us tonight. But the first thing, you can go ahead, write it in, follow along. The first thing that a relationship needs to move towards marriage is ordered loves. Ordered loves to be able to love God and to love each other. And this is hugely important for us. We see it wrapped up in the greatest commandment that Jesus gives in Matthew 22, where he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So you need to make sure, is the most fundamental thing about that person the same as it is you? that do they love the Lord? And as they're going through, are they loving their neighbors? Is the fruit evident in their lives? This is an important question. This is not something to wait to be able to find out about, but you talk about those things which are most important to you. Those things which you praise most easily. And if the Lord is not top of that list, then that should be an indicator for you that this is not the best relationship. That they maybe have not dealt with their sin. Augustine would say that that's what a lot of sin is, is disordered desire, disordered loves. And so as we're going through, we need to be able to see, okay, well, are there rightly ordered loves? And so a good evaluative question for you to be able to consider in a dating relationship is do you both love the Lord and love each other? That's really one of the things I mean, you were going through and you're trying to figure out, Did they love the Lord and do I love that person and is it reciprocated? Is it brought back together? But you see, a lot of times people will just stop there. They'll just say, well, as long as you love the Lord and love each other, the rest will take care of itself. And that sounds nice and it's pithy and it's something you you feel like you could maybe hang your hat on. But the thing about it is, I know a lot of people who have both loved the Lord and they have loved each other and they've gotten divorced. They've loved the Lord, they loved each other and they aren't together anymore. You see, it's, you're, you need to both love the Lord and you need to love each other and your lives have to be going in the same direction. And so that's the second thing. You need to have a united direction. Lives going in the same direction in calling and in conviction. And so part of this is alluded to, we could see in 2 Corinthians 6 where the apostle Paul writes, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? So this is getting back up a little bit into the first point of rightly ordered loves that you don't want to be unequally yoked with a non-believer, but wrapped up in this image, which is an agricultural image, it's like, do you know what it means to be yoked together? You know, what I mean, it's not like a you know weightlifting turn like guys yoked. You know, that's not what we're talking about. It's an we're not agrarian. Not a lot of you are look like the farming type, and that's okay. Maybe more of us should be, but that's a point for another time. But as we're going through, and as we are looking at oxen, livestock being yoked together, that they would have wood placed across their shoulders, uniting them together and pulling in a singular direction so that a job could be accomplished by both of them working together. And really in this sense, a lot of it is a field being plowed. But you see, a lot of times if one was a lot stronger than the other and one would be pulling a lot faster than the other, then you wouldn't be going in a straight line, but you'd be veering off to the right or to the left or one would just not be able to carry the load or one would become so exasperated and exhausted and so you need to be united together with someone who is running at a similar pace and going in the same direction. You know, one of my dear friends from Tuscaloosa, I mean, I still remember uh, like it was yesterday. Becca and I, we were engaged. She was in Clemson, I was in Tuscaloosa And we were long distance, our whole dating and engagement. And like we had shared a couple of weeks ago, and I was pounding the pavement. I was going over to I-20 to Atlanta, then shooting up 85 to Clemson. And I had just gotten there. Long Atlanta rush hour. It was awful. I was so excited to see her. I only saw her like every third week. And I get up there. And as as soon as I get into her apartment, I get a phone call from my best friend saying that the girl that he thought he was going to marry broke up with him. And like I had gone with this guy and we had, we had looked at rings. Like we were, we were trying to get acquainted with the five C's, you know, and we just become educated on a lot of the things and related to diamonds. And he calls me and he is at the lowest of the low and I have to turn around and go back home and be with my dear friend whose world has just been shattered you see, the thing about it was that they both loved the Lord. And I truly believed that for a season that they loved each other. But what they were able to find was that their lives were going in different directions. And it was at that moment that they needed to be able to talk about sooner and I would hope to be able to guard all of us against and to bring it up to the forefront of conversations. If you are dating or if you're getting more serious in your dating relationship, to evaluate, do they love the Lord? Great. Do we love each other? awesome are our lives going in a similar direction that is an important question that you've got to be able to answer and evaluate and so as we're going there has to be a mutual resolve a mutual resolve what does that mean a willingness to work through difficulties because i'm just going to tell you you both can love the lord you both can love each other And your lives are going to be going in a similar direction, but that doesn't mean it's going to be all sunshine and, you know, butterflies and popsicles and everything all the time. That there are going to be difficulties that come and you've got to wade through. You've got to discern, is this something that I want? Do I consider it worth it to push through for the sake of being with that other person? We see it in, right here in the Song of Solomon, chapter eight, beginning of verse seven. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. The image of chaos descending upon the relationship, but that it doesn't have the final word. Is it enduring through trouble? You've got to decide, is it worth it? But in a multitude of layers, that even with someone who you love, that loves the Lord, that your lives are going in a similar direction, there's gonna be difficulties that come and you're gonna have to discern when those difficulties come, is it worth it to be able to push through for the sake of being with the other person? I decided yes. And we were able to work through, we were able to push through and praise God for that. And so as you have a question, is there a desire to work through the difficulties? And as you're going through, one of the greatest helps that you can have in working through the difficulties is having open communication. Go ahead, write it in, open communication. Clarity, conflict, and Confession. I'm not always a fan of alliteration in sermons, but it works here. As you go through with clarity, it's what we talked about last week that one of the greatest gifts that you can give to the other person is the gift of clarity, not playing around, dancing all these games, we're talking, we're not, we're doing this group date, oh, everybody else got sick. <laughs> you know, no, it's just if you want to go on a date, go on a date. As you're having difficulty, don't dance around it, don't be passive aggressive, don't wall off in bitterness. Talk about it. Give each other the gift of clarity. And then as you're going through when there's conflict, don't try to preserve some artificial harmony. But work through it. Focus. This is a great help that will spare you a lot of trouble as you seek to work through difficulties in your relationship. When you are initiating a conversation about conflict with another person, focus on their actions and your feelings. Focus on their actions and your feelings. A lot of times, we like to project feeling or motive onto the other person. And we are not all-knowing. We are not omniscient. We are not God. And we will sometimes project a lot of things that aren't really there. And so instead of coming to that person, like, well, when you did this, you were just trying to do, you were just trying to do. No. Don't project that motive onto the other person, but say, hey, when you did this, fill in the blank, it made me feel this way. Focus on the other person's actions and your feelings and how it made you respond. So you wanna be able to give the gift of clarity. You wanna be able to engage in healthy conflict and you wanna be quick to say, I'm sorry and I forgive you. That as we're going through and we see in Proverbs 12, 18, it says that there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I'd encourage you to assume the best of the other person. That a lot of times we want to assume the absolute worst. We want to pause the other person in the pain that they caused us, but assume the best of the other person. Give them the benefit of the doubt. But I would want to encourage you on this being willing to engage in conflict is different than picking a fight. Being willing to engage in conflict is different than being quarrelsome or constantly instigating drama, right? That there are some that thrive, that feed off of being in a constant state of conflict. And we're able to see this in Proverbs 21, verse nine. It is better to live in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Or we see in Proverbs 26, one, unless we think it's just for the women, we see as charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. That as we look right here, that we need to be willing to engage in conflict. But that doesn't mean that we are constantly bombarding the other person, constantly picking at, constantly trying to undercut, constantly trying to drag down. But we're willing to be able to fight over the things that matter. But then we have confession. And this is one of those things is we have open communication. I I, I encourage people, have calibrated disclosure with your significant other. They should not be your accountability partner. They should not know every aspect of your life in every regard. That's a little bit of what Becca and I talked about two weeks ago. We, when we talk about boundaries, a lot of our, our minds just go to physical boundaries. But this is going into crossing one of those emotional boundaries. That they should not be the person that you unload everything onto every single day. Praise the Lord for godly friendships. Brothers and sisters in Christ who can come alongside and help to share that load. Thank God for counselors that we can go to and that we can share with and that can give us good processing tools to be able to live and cope with ourselves. But as we're going through, do not confess everything to this other person. But as you're going through, be able to disclose things about your past in a time that feels right to you. That was one of the questions that came through last week. When do I tell them about past sin? When do I tell them about what happened to me? And I can't in a very general way from up here without knowing the particularities of your situation give you a length of time when you need, when you reach that threshold, you need to be able to tell them. But I would encourage you when you feel that the infrastructure of your relationship, the scaffolding can hold it, that you want to be able to let the other person know where you're coming from and the things that you're shouldering. You don't want to bring this up and put this on them day by day, but you do want them to be able to have an accurate picture of where you're at. And so we need to be able to have that kind of open communication. We need to be able to have that kind of free exchange that's going on where we can give clarity, where we can engage in conflict, and where we can appropriately confess but, so the question would be, do you have open and healthy communication with the other person? And next, do you have wise community? Do you have select others to speak into your relationship? This is Proverbs eleven fourteen, where it says, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Do you hear that? Then a lot of times we get so privatized in our relationships that it's just me and this other person in a little love cocoon and nobody else can talk about it. Nobody else can see it. It's private over here. But in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. And so the question we would have is, do you have select people speaking into your relationship? And I would encourage you, you need to have some people, not all people. A lot of people wanna be up in your business, right? You don't need to have everybody speaking into your relationship. And I would encourage you this. they don't need to be all the same kind of people or from the same walk of life. I love your roommates. I don't know who they are, but I love them, right? But they don't need to be the only people in your orbit that are speaking into your relationship. They don't need to be just your parents, but it would be wise if you had select people, roommates, friends, people that are in your corner, your parents, mentors, pastors, ministers that can speak into, that can ask you questions about, and it can be a sounding board for you as you continue to progress and as you continue to evaluate in your relationship. So do you have those select people speaking into your relationship? And then what else does a relationship need as it moves towards marriage? Included family, the blessing of the family. We see Ephesians 6:2, honor your father and mother. And this is the first commandment with a promise that this is Paul picking up on the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20. And he's going through right here that you need to figure out what it looks like in your season of life to be able to honor your parents. This is not something that expired with the old covenant, but it was brought forward and it's not something that expires when you turn 18. But it is something that changes, that is nuanced for you. What does it look like for you to honor your parents as a five-year-old? You do what they say, right? What does it look like for Thomas to honor me? To obey, right, then and there. And maybe I'll tell him why. He asks a lot. As we're going through, but what does it look like for Thomas to honor me as a 21-year-old? Well, it's not for him to call me if he goes away to college or if he enters the working world and be like, hey dad, is it okay if I go out to dinner with my friends tonight? Why are you calling me about this? Yes, go, do this. But when, what does it look like for you to honor your parents in that season of life? If you're in college or if you're a young adult in the working world, it's to give them a seat at the table of your life. Allow them to be able to speak into that doesn't mean just instantly taking up everything that they say and implementing it into your life, but it's, it's giving them a, an ear. It's closely considering what they are saying as they're speaking into your life. And it's a blessedness to be able to have an included family. And so the question is, do you have the blessing of your family? Have you appropriately honored them? And so as we're going through, as we're moving forward, it's not an exhaustive list, but it's a representative list. And as you are dating, maybe you're at the beginning stages of dating someone and you are evaluating, these are some things, as you continue to progress with the other person, what are some of the things that I should be looking for? Well, this is a great way, a great place to be able to start. And maybe you've been dating for a little while and you have maybe started to have some conversations around marriage, And you're kind of dancing around a little bit of like, I don't know if it's too early to talk about I don't know if it's too soon. I don't know if it's too strong for me to come on and be able to talk about some of these. But maybe you're entering into some of these conversations for you to be considering some of these things. Are these elements present as your relationship moves towards marriage, as you are evaluating where you stand with this other person? And then as you seek to be married, that dating we say is not recreational, but it is purposeful. And it is preparatory, getting ready for marriage. Well, we have to know what is the design. We have to know what is the intent. We have to know what is the purpose. And really as we're gonna be able to see tonight, what is marriage picturing for us? And so this is gonna be the second part that we're looking, and we're really gonna be unpacking and expanding this long sentence, okay? that God has designed marriage. God has designed marriage to be. And the first part I want you to be able to see is this. God has designed marriage to be between one man and one woman joined an exclusive covenant for life. That this is a part of God's design. And we see it from the very beginning of the pages of Holy Scripture. We see it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It's like when we are watching the creation account unfold on the page, it's like Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Scripture, has to press pause on the unfolding action and has to insert a little aside. Because he says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That here at the very beginning, we're able to see that according to the Bible, sex is not a bad thing. That a lot of times growing up in the church where we don't talk about it or where we see it, oh, it's something that's over there, it's something that's gross, it's something that's ew, it's something that you should never do, right? That over there, That no, but that we see in scripture that sex is a gift from God to his people for the pleasures of for the purpose of pleasure and procreation. And that it is a gift. And it is designed for the context of this covenant union between one man and one woman. And as the pages of scripture unfold, you're gonna be able to go through and you're gonna be able to see how it can be a conduit and a source of life and blessing and flourishing. Or it can be something that burns lives To the ground. Ray Ortland, he's a pastor up in Nashville, someone who I respect a great deal. But he talks about sex as a fire, in the image of a fire. And fire, I mean, there are so many good things that can come from it that can bring life. It can preserve life, right? If it was so cold, you know, right now we have HVAC and all that kind of stuff. But like at a a certain point, you had to burn wood in a home in order to be able to preserve life, to stay warm, to keep the cold away, for cooking, for flourishing, for enjoyment. And it is best enjoyed when the fire stays in the fireplace. But when the fire gets out of the place that it was originally designed, it can burn the house to the ground. And for us, as we're going through, we have got to be able to see that God has so designed sex to take place within the covenant of marriage. And God has been the one to design it. This is where sex is designed to take place and used by God for enjoyment and procreation. It's a gift he's given to his people. And biblical marriage is a calling of God. It's a gift. And as we're going through and as we're able to see that when certain things are given by a designer, that they are to be used by the way that the designer intended. I found this book to be deeply helpful here lately. Uh, I'm walking with a number of people, guys and gals, uh, that are going through and struggling with pornography in a significant way. And so I've just been trying to go through and look at some more resources on how to better help people. And it's a book called Rescue Plan, charting a course to restore prisoners of pornography. Deepak Raju, he's a a biblical counselor up in DC and just deeply insightful. But he goes through and he's talking about in one of the chapters towards the beginning of the book about uh, the toaster. And he's going through and he's talking about a toaster He's saying, like, you know, if you were to have a toaster, and there, but there was a problem, and you you really needed to be able to hammer a nail, you know, to be able to hang up a picture in your house, and you didn't have a hammer, but you had a toaster, right? And your son goes and grabs the toaster and is like, "Here, Dad," and for you to be able to at that point, like, what are you going to do with this? We, I need a hammer. He's like, "No, well, we have this toaster. You could just use it to bang the nail into the wall." He's like, but in doing so, that we would go through it we would be destroying the toaster in the process. We would not be accurately hitting the nail. We might be creating a hole bigger that it's not gonna be able to uphold the picture that we're wanting to be able to hang on the wall. That yeah, I mean, I guess in theory, you could try to use this for that purpose, but it is not what the inventor of the toaster had in mind when he gave us the toaster. And Deepak Reju, he reflects on this. What's our point? We do the same thing when we use sex for selfish purposes and ignore God's intention for it. Every time a man or a woman misuses sex, they make the very same declaration. I know how God designed sex, but I'm gonna use it how I want to use it. If I want to indulge in premarital sex or pornography and masturbation, then I will. I don't care about the damage it does to me and others. Sin prefers to misuse and mistreat what God has designed. Our sinful flesh our oversexualized culture, and Satan all work together to misappropriate sex. But when we see that sex has a designer, that marriage has a designer, and it is God for the designer, that it is between one man and one woman joining an exclusive covenant for life, and we see it laid out for us at the very beginning of Scripture, but we see it picked up by Jesus... It is reiterated in his teachings in Matthew 19. You see it on your outline. Jesus answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What God has joined together, let not man separate that Jesus here is reiterating that God is the designer of marriage. And so what is the implication for this? That God has designed marriage to be between one man and one woman joined in an exclusive covenant for life. Well, the implication is this, that we are not free to alter any component. That marriage, as God has gifted and given it to humanity, that we in sin are not to alter any component of it. That means the component of the oneness, the exclusivity of marriage between one man and one woman. This goes against and why we don't practice polygamy. That when you see it, people are like, well, does the Bible support polygamy as I'm going through and I'm reading? No, it does not. You can go through and you can trace How at the very beginning, very close after the Genesis 2 account, and you see how sin is wreaking havoc through the human heart and spreading out into the world, you just read the account of Lamech and how he took multiple wives. You trace it on, you look at Abraham and Sarah and then trying to go and to grasp at the promises of God, not trusting in his providence and going and trying and pursuing through polygamy Or you see with Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, led astray, ultimately by all of the wives that he accumulated that followed different gods. That no, the Bible, that it is between one man and one woman. It is exclusive covenant relationship. But it also means that it's between a man and a woman. There is a complementary nature to it. That's not like, you know, oh, you look very nice today. Not complimentary in that way. But in terms of complementing one another. And so this does. It's why we do not believe that it is honoring to God for homosexual marriage. That we see marriage as between one man and one woman. As God created as God gifted and now uses it as a conduit for flourishing and blessing. But it's also for life. That we see it as commitment. And so this is why no-fault divorce as it is running rampant through our culture and divorce has touched every single life, either directly or indirectly here in this room. And it's one of the reasons why we grieve over the ending of the covenant of marriage. It's not God's design. As we're going through, we need to see that God has designed marriage to be between one man and one woman, join an exclusive covenant for life. And because he has so designed the gift in this way, we are not free to alter any component of it. But it's not just the description of what it is, but go ahead and write it in. God has designed marriage to be a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. And this is an extended portion. And y'all, it's a lot of fun to preach on. As we're going through and we're able to dive in, and maybe Becca and I, the next time around when we do this series, we'll be able to talk a little bit about headship and submission and a lot of those words because some people either get too excited or roll their eyes at those. And we need to have a rightly calibrated biblical understanding of what those things mean. But that's not what we're doing right now. As we're going through, I wanna draw your attention to a few things as we read this portion together. And for you to be able to see this, that marriage is a lot bigger than you and the other person. That marriage is a lot bigger than Becca and I. That marriage is a lot bigger than you and your significant other or the one that you would hope to be with. But that marriage is a picture pointing beyond itself to something better. We see in verse 22, follow along. Wives, submit to your own husband so as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And this is it. This mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is something that you need to know a long, long before the sermon at the wedding altar. Corey, I'm really looking forward to being with you and Chip in just a few short weeks and doing your wedding. Abby, I'm really looking forward to July and being able to be with you and David. But I'm convinced that that time when you are both up there is not the time to hear this for the first time. But that all of you need to be able to hear right now if marriage is something that you want to aspire to, but not if you feel the call of God for singleness on your life, praise God. It is a gift to be embraced and to be used for the kingdom of God. But we need to all have an understanding, a shared understanding that marriage is a picture that applies to each and every one of us. Because we, when we are called to Christ, we are called into his church. And we are now in committed covenant relationship with God himself. And that it is exclusive. And that we are to have no other gods. There's a reason why so often through scripture, especially in the Old Testament, that idolatry and wandering far from God is adultery. That we are in a monogamous relationship with God. That this marriage is but a pointer to. It is a picture that when two that are alike but different come together and exchange vows, and that the husband sacrifices and lays himself down, it is a picture of the way that Christ has so loved the church and given himself up for her to where he laid his life down. And it's not just something that's Blake's cooked up. It's not just something that people in the church have been talking about for a long time, but it is what the Holy Spirit, through the apostle Paul, we see in verse 25, that love is not just something that is in a romantic sense, that is shared between two people that have a strong attraction, but that love is a giving up of yourself for the other person that love is laying yourself down for their benefit. It is putting the needs of another before your own. And so what is the implication? Marriage is a gospel issue. It is not something to be treated lightly. It's not something to push to the periphery. But it is something Where we are able to see that Christ demonstrates his sacrificial love for us, giving himself to cleanse us and to cover us and to bring us back to him. It's a picture between Christ and his church. And then, two final things that we're able to see that God has designed marriage to be for a time, that earthly marriage is temporary. All earthly marriages are momentary. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 22. Jesus answered them, you are wrong. This is when the people were trying to trip him up and they were trying to catch him in a theological catch 22 and he is not having any of it. He says, you're wrong because you know neither neither the scriptures or the power of God. How's that? (laughs) For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like angels in heaven. So we see that Marriage will be eclipsed in the new heavens and the new earth. That This earthly marriage is just but a pointer to a greater and a deeper reality and that there around the throne, we will not be identifying so much with as a husband or as a wife, but we will be people called together. We will be the saints the brothers and sisters, the family of God, all surrounding and celebrating the one who made a way for us to be back with him. And so God has designed earthly marriage to be for a time, but he has also designed marriage to be, and this is the last thing, a foreshadowing of an eternal marriage. Not everyone will be married here in this life. That is not something that God has As much as you might hope for and as much as you might want it, God has not promised that you will be married. And so we don't hope in those things in which he has not promised us. But we can all hope in this that all Christians will be a part of a marriage that lasts eternally. We see in Revelation 19, that book at the very end of the Bible, when the apostle John catches this vision, he says, then I heard What seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these things are the true words of God. That this is where we are all headed. This is where we are all moving to a wedding where we as the bride of Christ are being brought, being presented in splendor, clean." through Jesus himself that we will all be a part of this eternally you know I still remember my wedding day and waiting with anticipation for Becca who was very particular and very old school about I mean I didn't see the dress or anything before and that really bugged me. And I was just, I was not clued in to all of the other things surrounding earthly marriages, right? And so I'm going through and just the buildup and seeing her sort of from afar shielded and then revealed to be able to walk down the aisle. Just the overwhelming joy and just the love in that moment that I had. And it's a privilege, you know, now for me, whenever I get to turn around and do weddings, you know, in typical fashion, I stand with a lot of the guys. I come in with the groom and with the best man, and we stand over here in the middle, ready to receive the bridal party, and then the father of the bride, and then the bride herself. And before we walk out, I always get to turn and I get to talk to the groom, and I get to say, Brother, you're experiencing something today that nobody else here will experience today. That you're getting a window into the heart of our Savior today, that you are getting to experience just a sliver of the joy, of the anticipation of being reunited with His bride. And let that clue you into the great love that He has for you and that He has for all of us together. This is where we're all heading that we have one who loves us perfectly, who has made a way, who has laid himself down that we might be together with him who made us and who knows us and still, in spite of all of that, and who still loves us. Marriage is so much bigger than you and another person. Marriage is so much bigger than a hot topic in the culture today. Marriage is designed and its very maker is God himself. And marriage is a picture and a pointer to a reality that we could never cook up on our own. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the gift of marriage. God, in a similar way that we are thankful for the gift of singleness, God, we trust that you are good, that you are providential, that you will sovereignly give that which is for our good and for your glory. God, I pray that you would uphold us. If there are those that are struggling with an unfulfilled desire, would we not hold on to that? Would we not grow bitter? Would we not grow weary in holding on to that? But would we lay it? Would we roll it off of our shoulders and place it at the feet of Jesus? And we are grateful that we together now can be a part of the body of Christ here on earth and that we will be the bride of Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. Reunited, fully known, fully loved and fully accepted. Not because of anything we could have done, but wholly because of grace. We thank you, Lord. We rest in you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Oxano Podcast. If you want more information on the songs that we sing at Oxano, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following Him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.